Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. It is an awesome pleasure to connect with uh, Mike Van today. Uh, Mike Van is with Trident Multifamily. Uh, he's based in Springfield, Missouri. Along with his partners, uh, they have a little over 1,000 units and a $60 million collective portfolio. And uh, Mike himself has been investing in, for uh, more than 15 years. Uh, he has a large personal portfolio, uh, well over 130 uh, houses and small uh, mid-sized multifamily portfolio uh, personally as well. So he comes with a wealth of experience and um, we are today going to dig into his story and it is an absolute pleasure to, uh, you know, connect with Mike and, uh, you know, connect with such an experienced person like uh, Mike and learn from him and get some expert advice uh, from him. So welcome to the show, uh, Mike. I appreciate you taking time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. And Mike, as I shared in the uh, in your uh, sort of brief bio, that uh, with the amount of experience uh, you bring into the table, uh, it is a, a great pleasure to kind of see how you came about. Uh, you know, a lot of listeners would be curious to see your journey. And now that you you have syndicated all of this, and on top of it, I should mention that uh, you are all the time full time working into medical devices industry, uh, which is a tremendous highlight that someone who's been doing real estate for such a long time uh, and also doing it full time uh, working at a job. And now you're doing still the same and you scaled up to a syndication. I mean, absolutely kudos to you. You know, uh, there are not that many people that I know uh, who are wearing so many hats. So uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have you. Uh, Mike, for listeners, uh, kindly fill us uh, in as to, you know, some more detail in your bio and we can uh, kick it off. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, it's been a little over 15 years since I, I've been investing in real estate. And, um, you know, the whole time I've been working, but the reason I got into it in the first place is, you know, corporate America is great, uh, offers a lot of benefits and, and can offer a nice, nice job or salary, but there's not a lot of, um, security in corporate sure. America, you know, sure. at, at some point, um, you, you are just a number and, and, uh, you know, you're always expendable. And so after making it through a, a few different uh, layoff situations where, you know, our company was laying people off and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I made it through <clears throat> realized that, um, I needed another source of income. So turned to real estate and, you know, I, you see the, the late night infomercials that make it seem like real estate's easy and lucrative and, and, uh, it can be lucrative, but it's definitely not easy. Sure. sure and sure. it's, uh, it's definitely not a get rich quick thing. It's a, a get rich slow thing. Sure. Um, and so, 
uh, started, you know, uh, educating myself um, way back when, uh, and and went out driving for dollars and, and found my first uh, duplex, um, you know, for sale by owner. So bought that, uh, self managed that for a period of time. Realized that I was not a good landlord. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, third party property management is the way to go. Sure. So you know, started with some some small multifamily, single family. Um, and then, uh, took a break when I changed jobs and, uh, went uh, to Texas. I was there for about a year, moved back to Springfield, um, a year after that and wanted to learn the markets here. Um, uh, cause I always knew I, you know, wanted to stay in real estate and, and, sure. and pursue that as a long-term wealth creation vehicle. So, uh, pursued the market here, fixed and flipped a few, uh, houses and, and really wasn't super sophisticated in my education at that point. Um, so when 2008 hit, uh, you know, I was, my, my mindset was if people can't get credit to buy my flips, then I'm just going to stop doing this for now. You know, so over the next year or two, I, I you know, kept educating myself and realized, oh my gosh, I need to be all in, not holding on the sidelines. So I immediately jumped back in and started putting dealers out for, um, you know, some some through some agents and brokers and, and bankers things like that mm-hmm. and uh, a buddy of mine was president of a bank and called me uh, and said a broker stopped by his office and had a different bank uh, owned a 16 unit bank owned complex and so asked me if I was interested so I contacted the broker and ended up pursuing that deal and uh, I used my sales slash negotiating skills and ended up getting a a phenomenal deal on that property awesome. um, mm-hmm. and uh, and then um, you know started accumulating more over the, the following years that was in 2010 I bought that first multi you know larger multi-family mm-hmm. 16 units bought it for 450,000 um, wow. and uh, and then held that and sold that in 2017 and 1031 sold it for 780,000 Wow in 2017 and 1031 that into a 55 unit apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, but along the way, had done a variety of other things. I, I bought some other multifamily. You know, at that point I knew multifamily was where I wanted to be. You know, sure. just economies of scale. Mm-hmm. Two is better than one, five is better than two. Um, right. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, at, at some point after I, I bought a, a fourplex, a fiveplex, sixplex, you know, after the 16, um, I kind of got bored. There was not, you know, deals were starting to dry up. So bought a package of single family homes from another investor who had done what I should have been doing back in 2008, which was buying all these uh, single family homes for sure. a million dollars. So bought those for a good deal, um, implemented a program for, for uh, uh, lease options. And I wanted to do it in a way that was ethical where we can actually help people get into home ownership not just churn down payment money like a lot of people do. You know, sure. they, they get into these things and they get a down payment for someone they know that's never going to convert. And as soon as they as soon as they default, they keep their money and go sell it again. But we actually helped a lot of people get into home ownership this way. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so we did that. Um, like I said, twenty-seven uh, about a 27-unit complex, uh, then a, another 12 units of, uh, of duplexes from another owner um then i said 1031 into that 55 unit mm-hmm. then as soon as i bought that uh 55 unit uh, i've been learning about syndication and, and wanted to scale up even beyond the 55 from what i could do my, on my own 
mm-hmm. um, and joined a mentoring program and uh, got around people who were doing what I wanted to do, you know, sure. buying large apartment buildings. Um, these were, uh, you know, people that were, that were, uh, um, like I said, they were experienced in, in syndication. So I partnered up with a few different groups um, and, uh, and bought our first deal. So I did 2017 making connections, you know, broker connections, partner connections, capital connections, things like that, learning sure. the ins and outs of syndication and lending and, and all the things that are different from personal investing, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with community banks and things like that. Sure. Um, so uh, uh, since we got our first deal in 2018, as a, I was a key principal, which means that you actually are signing on the loan, a Fannie, Fannie Mae loan, uh, sure. and you have to be able to sign on a loan first to have that experience, so to speak, before sure. you can go and sponsor your own deal. Um, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so sign on a loan to do that 132 units in Kansas, uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, which is actually now back on the market for sale. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, uh, and then quickly after that, uh, did another deal for 243 down in Dallas. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. With a different group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then turned around in 2019. Um, worked with the partners that I have now, Carl Sewercroft out of Dallas and Rodney Miller out of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had been working with other groups at the same time you know, through this mentoring program, decided we wanted to team up and, and do a deal together. Um, awesome. Mm-hmm. So we did, we did a deal together, took it, took it down in early 2019 mm-hmm. and um, worked uh, very well together. We did that as separate entities. And sure. I, I would suggest doing it, not just teaming up the first person that comes along, but, but doing it uh, together, but as separate entities before we actually form a company. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that just to see how well we work together, you know, under sure. pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different sitting around, sitting around having a beer with someone and uh, versus, you know, in the middle of a deal when you're raising lots of money, having lots of moving parts going on and all the stress is high and everything like sure. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, people work together. So we did that, worked very well together. And uh, after that deal was complete, we reflected on that and decided to form Trident Multifamily and you know, here we are today. We did another deal uh, later that year under the Trident banner. Um, and just between those two deals, I had actually teamed up with the, the um, prior, one of my prior partners and did a, another 348 unit deal down in Dallas. Um, and, uh, and so once that deal was complete, uh, we decided to only work together going forward. And so that's when we formed Trident. And now we only work with each other. And uh, you know, we still bring in strategic capital partners, um, you know, uh, to align with us, uh, align with Trident, but, um, but as far as the, the formation of the company, it's just uh, the three of us. I see, I see. Thank you for that detail. And, and I mean, the amount of experience you bring in uh, is, is, is just incredible. I mean, there's just not a lot of people uh, who will kind of just sit and say that, okay, I have a 15 year, such a big track record. And that that's awesome. So now, uh, Mike, uh, speaking about your first deal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As we all say that, you know, like evaluating the markets or specific sub markets is so important. Uh, can you share like, how did you kind of, uh, you know, evaluate the sub market and perhaps uh, why you chose uh, that particular uh, sub market to purchase the deal? Right. Well, you know, early on when I very first started, um, I didn't know anything about evaluating markets. I just knew <laughs> I wanted to invest where I lived, you sure. know, <laughs> and, and, you know, investing 
you know the local market, right? And so right. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're getting started and doing smaller deals like that and you're in a small market, you can get away with that. You can get away with that, you know, not having to worry about um, so much as far as uh, uh, job trends and income trends. You just need to know the people in your neighborhood that are going to live there can pay the rent. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're looking at these large syndications and, you know, generating, uh, that are generating hundreds of thousands of dollars income a month, and you're take you're raising millions of dollars of other people's money. Um, sure. You really have to do a lot of due diligence and, and take your research seriously because being a steward of other people's money is a very serious responsibility. And sure. and um, I I take that uh, more personal than I did would managing my own money. You know, if I'm managing sure. your money, I, I'm going to be more careful with it than I am. Sure. So, sure. Um, so yeah, you, you look at, at uh, you know, median household income. You do that because you want to make sure that people that are going to be renting your places are able to afford it. True. We use uh, the 3X multiple on income. So if your rent's $1,000, you need to make at least $3,000 a month uh, to mm -hmm. qualify. Um, you know, the, the market overall, we want to see um, within a one, three and five mile radius, at, at least that, that 3X, um, that 3X uh, income multiple. Mm -hmm. That means that that you have a large pool of potential renters. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we we look for places or for for uh, areas where uh, population growth is strong. You know, we want to see, see. A consistent mm -hmm. consistent population growth. So you know, you have not only people that can afford your rent, but you also have more people coming into the market mm -hmm. you know, for for jobs. Uh, we want to see job growth in that market. Right. We want to mm -hmm. see good schools. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of the same things you would look for where you want to live. Sure, you know, sure. um, personally, but um, and so those are some of the things you evaluate in the submarket. Got um, it, got it. And uh, anything about uh, uh, Mike as to you target any specific asset class, whether you like like a C class deal or a B class deal? Can you maybe share what are your thoughts sure. on that? So, so A, B, and C class. You know, for your listeners who may not know, A class is the is the new stuff up to maybe you know five ten years old. Uh, B class is, is that uh, early 2000s down to the, the mid 90s and the C class is, uh, is you know, late, late uh, 80s to even late 60s. Sure, um, sure. Workforce housing, B and C class is more your workforce housing, you know, sure, sure. blue collar mm -hmm. folks, uh, young uh, professionals, things like that. So we target value add B and C class right, for the simple right. reason that, you know, in we, we consider that a sweet spot because in good times, people are moving up from D to C, C to B, and B to A. Sure, in bad sure. times, they're moving from A to B and B to C. So if you have that B and C class, you're right here in the sweet spot to catch them on the way up in a good economy or on the way down in a bad economy. True, and, true, true. As a matter of fact, with all the uncertainty that we had during this recent COVID crisis, um, you know, the, it was something like we've never seen before. You know, so we were really concerned as far as what are um, you know what are assets how they were going to perform mm -hmm. and, you know to this point they've held true to the historical norms that uh, multifamily apartment buildings are the best asset class to be in from a real estate standpoint sure uh, sure in a bad economy our occupancy actually has increased we've had record collections three months in a row that's awesome and, um, mm -hmm. you know we foresee uh, that trend continuing and so you know all the things that People have talked about, you know, why it's a good thing to be in as far as multifamily real estate uh, actually proved to be true. 
True. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, specifically uh, there, Mike, do you focus on like a C class specifically or a B class? Uh, I mean, I know we said value add, right? Uh, one of the things that um, I wonder a lot of times is that obviously we have been in such a uh, sort of a uh, uh, compressing ca- cap rate environment, you know, a lot of deals uh, are sometimes getting passed on from one syndicator to other, which, you know, like, let's say the prior syndicator may have bought those deals, perhaps, uh, let's say five, seven years ago, and now they have uh, kind of, you know, done their uh, a part of the business cycle. And now, it is on to the newer syndicator, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you start to make sense of the returns and perhaps even see that, uh, is there any value add component still left uh, uh, from the uh, prior syndicator and stuff like that? Can you maybe share uh, what are your thoughts and how you kind of go around some of these deals uh, and stuff? Sure. Well, you know, we look at a what has been done by the prior ownership group um, but even more importantly, we look at what is the potential left, the meat on the bone, so to speak. So we look at the comps in the market. Um, you know, if they, if if the asset we're considering um, is still uh, from a rehab or amenity standpoint below what the competitors are, and mm-hmm. we see rents that are still 10 to 15 percent below what the competitors are, mm-hmm. we we consider that enough uh, meat on the bone, so to speak, to to sh- to see that we're there's still some value there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen deals trade twice in the last three years. Th- that's and, that's exactly what I was referring to. That you know, you yeah. you typically see like similar deals uh, just come right back from prior syndicator to, and yeah. as you rightfully pointed, what, it could trade a couple of times in the sure. uh, last three to five years. You know. Yeah. What I've seen in some markets, especially the Dallas market, for example. So you know, you say you have a, a, a just a hundred unit to keep it simple. Say you have a hundred unit complex. And the original, you know, they, they bought, they were all classic units, no rehab units. So the first owner buys it, um, he rehabs 20% of the units, bumps the rents, proves the concept, uh, increases his NOI, and then sells, puts it on the market to the next guy. The next guy, uh, he renovates another 30% uh, of the, the units and does the same thing, raises the rent, raises the NOI. And they've done that enough to actually get their target uh, return metric met by sales so there's still there's still 50 percent of the units left to you know right. for the next guy to do right so as long as you see that that there's still value add left um mm-hmm. and you're not solely evaluating the, the potential based on increasing rents mm-hmm. but you have some valid um you know some valid uh value add components still to be done you know that there are some you know some classic units still left to be rehab that you can legitimately bring those up to the market just what the other ones are not necessarily beyond that and sure you know and, and that you're not projecting you know two and three percent rent growth for the next five years because that's you know we, we we try to be way more conservative than that um but uh you know we want to see true value add uh p- potential before we go sure, sure. on, on a deal especially if it's been traded before uh, in the recent past Sure, sure. No, and, and, and that's absolutely true that you want to see a, a tangible story or like how you can increase the rent. You want to see that, you know, sort of directly coming through. Uh, now, share some of the lessons, Mike, about 
perhaps you know how you went on doing some value add was that like maybe perhaps doing some exterior improvements or you know adding some amenities interior wise and things like that mm-hmm. can you maybe share some uh, things that your group may have done uh, to yeah, your absolutely. assets i think one of the most important things to is right off the bat is to clean up and, and beautify the exterior of the of the complex because what that's going to do is going to signal the community around you that changes are happening, positive mm-hmm. things are going on, and increase traffic to the property. Mm-hmm. And so once you do that and increase traffic to the property and the word starts spreading in the community that, that hey, new ownership taking over, they're putting money into this place, um, and, and it creates that, that positive awareness in the community and starts getting traffic to your property, then you're able, once, you, once you get them on site, then you can show them your nice updated unit that you've done. If you go in and start rehabbing units interiorly and don't do anything to the exterior, no one can tell you that anything's any different than it was before. So that's one of the things we do first. Um, We also look at utility conservation. The Mm -hmm. last deal we did, uh, we saw um, in that market, there should have been around a thousand to maybe $1,200 a month in utility um, expense per unit. Uh, we saw uh, $1,800 per, per month, or wow. $1,800 per unit, rather, um, mm-hmm. utility costs. And so that was a, an immediate signal right there that there was significant value add just by implementing utility uh, conservation measures. So we went in uh, from the very first day and started changing out all the shower heads uh, and toilets uh, and water fixtures to low flow. Mm-hmm. and have seen significant savings just from that alone and that's that's without really you know spending more than a couple hundred dollars you know a, a unit to do that sure. and you're going to see a significant amount of savings there um, absolutely mm-hmm. so those are a couple of things that, that i would look at right off the bat um to do and then of course you know you go in and just give it a nice interior fresh coat of paint um maybe change some some door uh, cabinet door fronts and new, put new pools uh, resurface the countertops, mm-hmm. um, you know, new light fixtures and even door handles. I mean, those are all inexpensive things you can do that will really make a big impact. You, know, you start getting into flooring, it's a little bit more cost- costly, but, um, you know, put some vinyl plate flooring down as opposed to having, um, you know, carpet that's been there and, you know, for two or three tenants that has stains in it or something like that. Sure. Vinyl plate flooring is a little bit more on the front end. Mm-hmm. So if you anticipate that cost going in and, and as part of your capital expenditure budget, um, you know, that flooring will last for years. And sure, so, sure. Uh, whereas carpet, you may get one or two tenants out of it, depending on, you know, how much they take care of it. But, uh, so those are just a few of the things that, that we would do for me. Sure, sure. Now, how much uh, typically do you spend per unit, uh, Mike? And, and again, I know that this can be a subjective question, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, if you can give some range or perhaps uh, kind of uh, preface it by saying that if it's a heavy value add that you know, you're right. replacing right. some cabinets in the kitchen and doing lots mm-hmm. of uh, stuff in the bathroom, can you maybe uh, share some tips uh, around sure. that? So, so if you're going into some place that is, has been rehab, you know, from maybe a previous indicator in the last few years, uh, and you're just going to do a heavy turn, which was basically, you know, clean up, you know, maybe new coat of paint and, and some minor changes, you may spend $2,500 a door mm-hmm. uh, to do something like that. Um, or if you're going to replace cabinet fronts, flooring, appliances, things like that, you may be spending upwards of, you know, five, six, seven thousand $7,000 a door. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so when we 
when we we say you know cost per door, that's an all-in cost because you know whether exterior, interior combined. But just interiors mm -hmm. alone, you're looking anywhere from um, fifteen hundred to to five thousand a door, depending on the the level of sure. uh, new interiorly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, uh, speaking of property management, uh, Mike, um, what is your strategy? Are you doing third-party property management completely? Uh, can you maybe share some things around uh, yes. how you're managing those? Yes, absolutely. We do use third-party management. Um, you know, mm -hmm. they have the systems and processes in place uh, mm -hmm. to do that most effectively. And we, our, our best use of time is as asset managers, where we just have weekly meetings with our uh, property management company mm -hmm. to assess, uh, you know, how our business plan is being implemented. We have certain metrics in place that we want to see on our Monday morning report, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and we measure those weekly because um, if it's not measured, it doesn't count. Sure, 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 um, sure. And so uh, we found that to be most effective. Um, it it uh, at some point in the future. We may take that in house uh, once we get to a large enough scale where it makes sense to spend the money to have that mm -hmm. staff on board or anything like that. But yeah, for now we use third party. Right. Now, uh, a little detail there, um, Mike, here is um, when, let's say, you're renovating the units and things like that, are you using the crew from property management itself or is that outside subcontractor? How's that relationship? So uh, both, um, we, for the heavy turns and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. you can generally use your on-site staff uh, to do that, or if there's a large number to be done in a short period of time, you can mm -hmm. hire some, uh, you know, bring on some extra on-site staff and, and have the property manager uh, manage that uh, effectively. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as asset managers and, and having partners, um, helps us to be able to have a more active role in the contracting aspect of things. Um, you know, my, my background is my family uh, has a construction company. So mm -hmm. I grew up doing that kind of work. And so mm -hmm. I, I am able to help in regards to, um, you know, bidding those projects out and kind of helping manage those from, a, from a, uh, that standpoint. Um, so there's some projects we will do and, and uh, we will manage the contractors and we'll get the bids things like that. Um, but uh, our third party manager is phenomenal. The one especially we use in Tulsa. Um, she has a lot of her own folks that she's worked with for years and are very mm -hmm. instrumental in, in doing those, those, especially those heavy turn type situations. Sure, sure. Now, speaking of your, uh, you know, immense experience, Mike, I mean, you know, you shared earlier, Mike, that um, you had about 125, uh, you know, single family and a mix of uh, uh, mid-size uh, apartment units and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. you came into the syndication business, uh, you know, very well versed, knowing, uh, you know, sort of the uh, entire life cycle of deals where, you know, you are kind of buying them, renovating them, you know, sort of leasing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, tenants and things like that. Uh, can you maybe share with our young listeners who may be listening that uh, they want to get into multifamily and perhaps uh, don't have much experience uh, of, uh, uh, you know, just real estate in general, or perhaps, uh, have, uh, you know, have, have not done much into single family and stuff, right? Uh, can you maybe share some insights as to what it takes to be into multifamily or would you perhaps... Uh, recommend that uh, typically, you know, there's always a buzz about 
oh, you don't need a lot of experience to get into multifamily. Anybody can, you know, typically come in as long as they have good partners and stuff, right? Can you maybe share some thoughts and what is your experience like into this arena? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's something that you, you do hear a lot from these gurus, you know, uh, but you have to keep in mind that they're trying to sell a course. <laughs> and they also know that a large majority of people who buy the course will never take any action. And so, you know, my recommendation is, is do some self-education. There's a lot of books and podcasts and free content out there that you can uh, get your hands on to educate yourself. Sure. Um, you know, and when you go approach someone to, to potentially partner up with, you can get in with little to no experience, but you have to have some education. Sure. And you have to be able to add value to any partnership that you're going to be a part of. Sure. Um, you know, I don't have a problem at all helping someone get started or helping them, you know, teaming up with them, you know, if they can add value to the partnership. Sure. Um, mm. So that's one thing I would suggest is, is be educated before you even talk to pe people about potential partnerships. Um, and be able to add value, whether that's you know being boots on the ground, being able to you know go and meet with contractors and property management and you know folks that are there on the ground where their asset may be, and you know I live three hours away or something like that, sure. or um, be able to raise capital. That's mm -hmm. another. That's a big thing that people can do um, to add value. Uh, you know, we look for strategic capital partners to be able to raise money for our deals but to be sec compliant you can't just be a money raiser you have to be able to add value in other ways so true you know, being able to be boots on the ground being able to do other things to be an active general partner besides just raising money uh, sure. but but the capital raising aspect of things is very valuable to syndicators like myself and we do look for those partnerships um but uh but yeah the Long story short, you can get started with little to no experience, hmm. but you have to get educated first. Sure. Then you have to build relationships. Then once you have those relationships, you have to be able to add value to those relationships and then sure. continue, you know, continue the education all the way, all the way through. Always be learning, you know, sure. always mm -hmm. ask educated questions. Um, you know, it's okay to ask a dumb question here and there because everyone, you can't know everything from the beginning. Sure, but, sure. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that's something that, that I would suggest is be educated, uh, bring value, and uh, always be willing to work harder than the next guy. Sure, sure. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, now, Mike, uh, taking over a large uh, uh, apartment unit is uh, sort of challenging by itself. Like you know, first few months you are kind of feeling out what the tenant base is like, if there are any large delinquencies, perhaps if there are any deferred maintenance and things like that. So there's a lot of things like first maybe 60 to 90 days that are kind of in flux. Uh, you know, it's like you're feeling out everything, how things are shaping out. Have you had any challenges uh, from perhaps uh, whether it was property management or perhaps, uh, you know, issues with your tenants or uh, whether it was deferred maintenance and things like that. Can you maybe share some tidbits about uh, around it or I don't know if you had any war stories around it as well you know oh yeah yeah anybody <laughs> who's been in this game long enough always has some pretty crazy stories but sure um, yeah there's always challenges you know there's there, the, the thing about um, 
the thing about this business is you, you always have to go into it with a plan, but you always have to be flexible and willing to pivot and, and uh, you know, have a, have a backup. Sure. Um, so there was a, a, a property in Little Rock, Arkansas that we were looking at, spent a couple months um, in negotiating, you know, LOIs and back and forth, things of that nature did, uh, I think two property tours um, prior to getting the LOI accepted. And so between the LOI acceptance and the, while we were working at the PSA, uh, purchase sale agreement, um, I asked for early an early access agreement so we could walk the, every unit of the complex. You know, I, I was certain we were going to execute the contract based on what we had, you know, talked about in the LOI, but I was just getting an uneasy feeling in, about the transaction and some things that had gone on. So I asked for early access agreements before we signed the contract mm -hmm. to, be able to, to be able to access every single unit. And mm -hmm. we did, we walked every single unit. We got down to the very last building, the mm -hmm. furthest part out uh, of the property. Uh, one that we had walked by during a, a previous property tour, they showed us the one across from it, parking lot from it. Well, we got to that last building and found out that uh, the whole bottom floor had been vacant for years due to sewer backup. Oh my God. Had never disclosed any of that. Mold, I mean, human waste backup was in, you know, flooding all in these bottom, uh, these bottom units of this complex, of this building. Wow. They had, they had people living upstairs. Wow. In, in That's other amazing. It was horrible. So, um, we spent another two or three months, or another two months, um, going back and forth on remediation and and uh, you know um, price reduction and so forth. And finally, we just walked away. You know, we we spent six, seven months of our time, uh, thousands of dollars, um, and due diligence. You know, paying plumbers and everything else to to try and get this uh, worked out. And finally, just walked away. And so, you know, you, you sometimes just have to walk away. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So that's a, a story about due wow. diligence. Um, wow. mm -hmm. As far as uh, property management and takeover, um, there's there's always going to be issues with with uh, tenants and and you know um, back rent that's owed and uh, things of that nature, which you find. And so you know, one of the things I would suggest is right day one of takeover, do a thorough lease audit, go talk to every single tenant, and make sure that what's on paper is actually what's uh, you matching know, up, matching right. up, right? Sure. And you know, we had even used a property management company that we had used in other, at other properties, but in a new market. Mm -hmm. and so we got to this new market, and in this particular market, the team wasn't as strong as they were in other markets. And so mm -hmm. we gave them the benefit of the doubt for the first two months, um, and then we got rid of them <laughs> and brought and brought in a new man, new management company uh, who's been phenomenal. And sure. So, what you know, were the issues like? Were they not like good on maintenance or uh, reporting or like just reporting uh, was reporting was a nightmare. Uh, the on-site that they specifically, the on-site that they hired was was uh, doing some shady stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. well, she was really lazy and and hiding stuff and not reporting stuff and actually fraudulently uh, signing money orders over to herself and. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, doing some just crazy stuff. And so we rooted all that out because we are so actively involved, um, you know, in, in the asset management piece. Uh, we rooted all that out and uh, got rid of them 
Uh, we gave them one month to clean it up. It didn't happen. The next month they were gone. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, hire slow, fire fast. That's another one. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And this is the tried and true experience advice that I love all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, uh, Mike, a couple of last questions. As seasoned as you are in this business, right? Uh, what are some of the great advice that you have received from perhaps past uh, investors or any fellow, uh, uh, you know, colleagues that uh, you have networked with in the past that kind of keeps you in check and disciplined as you kind of go about your investing journey every day? Yeah, well, you know, first and foremost is always keep learning. You can never know everything in this business or in any business for that matter. Um, you know, persistence is key. You will get beat up a lot of time in this business, you know, by losing deals or having people tell you things that aren't necessarily true or not tell you things that they should have told you or, you know, not following through on promises. And so you can't take all that personally. It's just some people aren't, as, aren't great business people or some people aren't as forthright and honest as, as you may be yourself. And so you know, don't take it personally, be persistent, keep, keep forging ahead because, uh, you know, eventually it's a numbers game. You look at enough deals, you put in enough offers, uh, and you stick to your guns, your fundamentals, uh, you'll win a deal. And when you do, it'll be the right deal. Sure. And it will perform as you, as you, um, you know, as you want, want it to be expected to, because anybody can get a deal nowadays. You just got to overpay. <laughs> great, great advice. Now, what are some of the things you are looking forward to, uh, Mike, that I know that we are kind of just almost going through this uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, I know uh, there's a talk out there that perhaps we may see some deals or some pricing reductions and things like that. What is your take on all of this uh, sort of conversation? Well, you know, initially, uh, people thought this was going to be, you know, what the big downturn everybody was, was had been waiting for for all these years and there was going to be fire sales bigger and better than 2008 and you know to this point um i haven't seen any softening in prices mm -hmm. uh there were several deals that came off the market mm -hmm. um that have now started to come back on mm -hmm. um i have seen a couple folks that i know that that did get a, a price reduction not much but but some you know there's always going to be those one-offs that for whatever sure. reason um you, know, you can get a huge deal on Sure, sure. Uh, but, but overall, I have not seen a big softening in prices. And um, I'll say, not to say it won't come, but, uh, you know, we're not, we're not sitting around waiting. We're still pursuing. Um, you know, we have an LOI out right now, actually. Uh, I see. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're, uh, we're still pursuing deals. Um, but like I said before, we're, we stick to our fundamentals and we pursue the right deals. Um, we want to make sure that whenever we get a deal, it's going to perform to our, to our return metrics. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my take. Awesome. Awesome. And one last question, Mike, there, uh, you talked about return metrics. What sort of criteria you go by for, uh, you know, uh, doing your deals? So we invest for cash flow. We don't invest on speculation. So <laughs> when we look, um, you know, at a deal to, for us to be able to put an LOI in, um, it has to be the price is going to allow us to give a minimum 8% cash on cash return. Mm -hmm. our, our whole period is anywhere from three to seven years. Uh, mm -hmm. so we, we underwrite everything on a five year hold period. Um, sure. and <clears throat> we want to see, uh, 8% cash on cash return during those, during those five years, uh, typically with a, um, 80% overall return, which equates to a 16% annualized. 
So any kind of return we see on an annualized basis, uh, we want to see a minimum half of that return in cash flow from operation of the property. Hmm. So that way you're not speculating on future returns. Sure. You actually, you actually are delivering a, delivering a good solid return just from cash flow of operation of the business. Hmm. And the upside is is just that, it's upside. Sure. Um, you know, we, we try to be conservative when we look at those uh, at our exit metrics as well, you know, from, from an exit cap rate to, to be uh, as certain as possible uh, we can that we're going to be able to deliver the upside as well as just the, the cash flow throughout the, the I see, I see. Now, given those metrics, uh, Mike, uh, does that mean that uh, you tend to gravitate towards perhaps some secondary uh, or tertiary markets? Uh, can you achieve those cash on cash returns in uh, probably the hottest cities, perhaps that uh, always get talked about, whether it's the Dallas, the Orlando, the Carolinas, uh, and things like that? Uh, or do you find yourself maybe transitioning to uh, metros or perhaps secondary markets uh, uh, within around those metros. Can you maybe uh, kind of? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, we we like secondary markets uh, and tertiary markets. I mean, I live in a secondary tertiary market. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so we like those. Uh, they are better for cash flow. Um, you know, the people you, you still see deals coming across. And the Dallas's and the, the Carolinas, uh, you know, promising these eight and nine and even ten percent cash on cash deals. I'm not saying that they won't they won't deliver, but when I look a little deeper, um, some of the assumptions they're using to get those returns, mm -hmm. uh, I'd say they're a little aggressive for for my taste anyway. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, but I'm sure there's always a a needle in a haystack, even in the in the, the hot markets that you can sure. find over those deals mm -hmm. but but um i find that the secondary tertiary markets are a little bit more consistent and mm -hmm. ability to deliver those returns um i know that i've talked to a lot of people um, who are in deals uh, other other deals uh, some of our investors that are in other deals um you know they <laughs> they say i'm so glad we're invested with you 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 guys have the only deals that are performing right now <laughs> so great great I'm sure we've probably lost out on some deals because we are so conservative, but I think our certainty of performance is is more important to us than uh, the ability to generate deals. Sure, sure. Now, within your partnership, uh, as three of you are, uh, Mike, uh, what are some of the strengths you bring to the table, perhaps, and how is your partnership uh, layered in terms of who does the acquisition, who does the, perhaps the deal analysis and the investor relations side and stuff like that. Can you maybe share how, how is that structured? Yeah, Carl, you know, he, he's, he's full-time in our business, and as I mentioned before. Um, and so he, he's a numbers guy also. He loves spreadsheets. He loves the numbers. So he does a lot of our, um, you know, initial deal analysis hmm. and underwriting. And then once he gets that completed, if he thinks that it, you know, looks good, we will jump on a Zoom call like this, and we'll go walk through the numbers and and uh, and you know vet it out as a team. Um, you know, myself uh, having construction background, uh, I'm I'm big into the rehab component of things and, and dealing with contractors, things of that nature. Um, Rodney, uh, you know, he having a, a medical owning several medical practices. He, he's dealt with you know physicians and and uh, and other high net worth individuals being in tech and, and um, 
Oklahoma has a lot of oil friends and things like that. Um, so he he's he's done to this point a lot of our legal and investor relations work. But we all have we all have a responsibility for investor relations sure. um, mm-hmm. and broker relationships as well, kind of in our own respect, our, our own respective markets. So to to there are some subspecialties, so to speak, but uh, we overlap in in uh, a lot of our responsibilities and helps us helps us hold each other accountable as well. Sure, sure, sure. Boy, it's uh, it's quite a group, and uh, the things that you have done and achieved uh, is really inspiring. And uh, thank you for coming on uh, today, Mike. Uh, please, uh, sure, uh, please share with the listeners like how they can you know find you and learn more about your company. Sure. Um, if you'd like to uh, visit our website, uh, it's tridentmultifamily.com, tridentmultifamily.com, or you can follow us on Facebook uh, or LinkedIn, Trident Multifamily. And uh, feel free to reach out anytime uh, through our email, mike at tridentmultifamily.com. Be happy to, uh, to answer any questions. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us about uh, strategic capital partnerships or even you know, investing passively in some of our deals, uh, be happy to, to create that SEC compliant relationship. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it, uh, Mike. And uh, viewers and listeners of the podcast can also reach us at premiumcashflow.com uh, where you know expert guests like Mike and a lot of others regularly come on. Uh, if you're listening and you are interested to perhaps learn or passively invest, kindly connect with us uh, using invest with us. And uh, we would be happy to, you know, jump on a phone call and uh, understand what your goals are and which markets you are looking to invest. Uh, We are certainly in partnerships with a lot of groups uh, like Mike and others uh, wherein uh, incredible deals uh, do come by. Uh, So the opportunities, uh, there's no short of opportunities, that's for sure. So uh, I appreciate your time, uh, Mike. Thank you for coming on. Uh, It it is a pleasure and I look forward to you know exchanging more notes and learning more about your company uh, on a future podcast as well so thank you for that absolutely thank you thanks for listening to premium cash flow real estate investing podcast please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates research articles and more we will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest